Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome back to FCN's podcast, Emily. What are we talking about this week? Well, we've done a lot of talking recently about what not to spend time on in your business early on, about what how there are better uses of your time than insert lots of things that we've talked about recently here. So maybe we should talk about what should you spend time on early in your business specifically to get clients. So basically, how do you get clients when you're early in your business? You don't, you're not getting um, referrals from previous clients yet. You haven't spent three years building up a blog that after you got to the point in your business where that was a good place to start. So how do you get your first few clients and the couple clients after that? Sounds good. So you hold me accountable to this. <laughs> we're not going to do anything where you say you shouldn't. All right. Sounds so good. Positivity podcast. All right. Sounds good. So the the first thing that is going to that needs to be addressed with this is, and you can probably guess it. Okay. We'll it's your niche. Yes, I was right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what what we have to start with is, you know, who is it that you're trying to attract? Right. When you want to catch deep sea bass you don't go to lake havasu in the middle of the nevada desert you are getting negative right you're saying so, what you shouldn't do now so if you well, want no to no that has nothing to do with coaching that has nothing to do with coaching and so well, if, you can you can turn that you want to go to where you want to go to where the deep sea bass are there you go and so when we look at the idea of how do you get clients early in your business, you need to find where there is a large concentration of your clients. Yep. And since you, there are no, you know, conferences for people who want to hire financial coaches come to the hire a financial coach conference. That would be cool. Maybe we can add that to the future FCN list. Maybe right. The the idea of you know having a very generic niche of I help people with their budgets or I help people with debt is going to make it very difficult to actually figure out where those people are. And this is a big challenge that a lot of people have. If on the other hand, you have, you know, I have a financial coaching client who uh, they're, they're a financial coach and they work with, uh, they only work with uh, veterinarians. Mm -hmm. Well, there are veterinary conferences. There are, you know, all sorts of things related to veterinarians. And so it becomes very easy to actually identify where those locations are, right? You focus on what? Engaged couples. Where do engaged couples congregate? Wedding expos? 
there we Marital go. Counselors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as you have a more defined niche, the and this is one of the big benefits of having a really defined niche early on. It's why we spend so much time on it in launch and why there's so many resources for it in grow, right? In, in all of our memberships. And it's because having that really defined niche starts to answer a lot of these questions that feel unanswerable. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be the first step is just really thinking about where does my niche congregate? Where can I find large concentrations of them at the same place at the same time? Maximize efficiency. Yep. And put yourself there. Right. And the early on, you are not going to have the ability to get people to come to your website and buy off your website. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. No one knows who you are. Mm-hmm. No one knows about your business. Right. And as a result, it's going to be very difficult to actually um, to actually build that kind of trust without you being the one building it face to face. Now, you can do that through a podcast. You can do that through a YouTube channel. You can do that through a blog, but it's going to take five years to, to build up that level of trust where you're starting to get clients. On the other hand. If you're talking to someone face to face, they can see you, they can interact with you. Yeah. They can, you can build that trust in 10 minutes at a conference. And that's a really, really important thing to be able to do, right? To be able to build that level of trust. And so face to face interactions early on in the business are going to be your primary driver. Is there a difference between face to face physically versus face to face virtually? Yeah, there's a, there's, is there a difference? Yes. And the difference is the number of of interactions you have to have in order to build trust, right? If you are going to be, if you're going to have a YouTube channel, right? Someone, assuming you have a really, really good polished presence on video, right? You're able to express yourself in a way that is very comfortable and authentic and, and builds trust because some people come across are comfortable and authentic on video, but they seem kind of sleazy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then, yeah, you might be able to do it in you know, 13 or 14, 30-minute videos, right? If you're talking about within a Facebook group where you're posting, it might take two or three years of consistent posting where you're never talking about your business for that trust to be built up. If you're doing it face-to-face, you can probably do it in seven minutes by talking about their family and their kids and, and finding things you have in common and then transitioning over to the business. So a lot of it is how much time do you want to spend investing into building that level of trust to the point where they're willing to actually have the conversation with you about the coaching. So I was, that's all super useful. Um, I was thinking more and as I think more, I'm not sure how practical this is anyway. A lot of people, part of the appeal of being a financial coach is I can work with people anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so face-to-face then restricts that down for your first few clients, which A, may be okay. But I was wondering in like a Zoom conference or a Zoom networking group or something like that, is there a difference between, so small group, virtual. And vi- and live video as opposed to 
So as as close to face to face as you can get while being behind your computer screen. Is it possible? Yes, of course it's possible. Is it likely? No. Okay. And, and the reason why is because it, with I mean you've been to the AFC conference, right? Mm -hmm. And you attended it virtually, right? I did. Here, okay. How often did you have an opportunity to talk to someone one-on-one -on -one in a very casual environment? Right, right. and that's what I'm not getting at. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you can't have that one-on-one -on -one conversation in a Zoom room. Yeah, and, you know, it, and it's going to feel really weird, you know, if, if I'm sitting there, it, so if you and I don't know each other, mm -hmm. and we're in a conference, right, mm -hmm. and I send you a private message assuming that Eve's even allowed inside of the, mm -hmm. the event that I'm at, right? But I send you a private message say, hey, Emily, I saw your profile picture in the conference site and wanted to introduce myself. What are you immediately thinking at this point? You're <laughs> it, either hitting on me or yeah. you're just, you're trying to sell it's me. Weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a comfortable thing. On the other hand, if you and I are at a conference, we don't know each other, exact same scenario, and we're both at getting coffee at the little coffee pot. And I say, Hey, how are you, how are you liking the conference so far? Right. And it's a normal, natural conversation with somebody else who's clearly interested in the same thing. And yeah, which is interesting because it's the same thing. It's somebody mm -hmm. striking up a side conversation, but it does have a completely different tone. And it's not just a matter of a completely different tone. It's a matter of, it's two really key things. And the first one is you've lost about yeah, probably about 70% of your ability to communicate. Right. You're not face-to-face. -face. Yep. In in Zoom, you still probably retain that last 20%. 90% of communication is meta-communication, right? Mm -hmm. You probably still maintain about 20% of it in Zoom because you can't, you might be able to talk with the person. Yeah. Right. And you can see facial expressions. You might be able to see some facial expressions, but you're losing a lot of, of that body language and a lot of other things. The leaning forward, the leaning back, right. the looking away. Yeah. There's yeah. yeah. You can't both see something across the room and give each other a, a knowing glance of, did you just see what I saw? That was crazy. Right. Yeah. So those types of interactions really built that that commonality and that has to be done in person. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah, so that's the first aspect of it is you just lose a lot of communication capabilities, um, you know, as you move further and further away from face-to-face. -face. Obviously, you lose more through just typing in text and so on and so forth. The, the other side of it is we don't build relationships online. Everyone says they do, but we don't, right? It's just not the way people build relationships. You can... And you can, it just takes a really long time. No, it's not possible. You can maintain a relationship. Let me prove it to you. All right. I want you to pretend that you have, and everyone's listening to this who thinks that they have, uh, that Ooh. they can build a network and relationship through an online means. I want to, I want to ask this question to you. I'm going to give okay. you. Okay. I have a clarifying question by what you mean by online. Great. Okay. So I you think we're have, you have, two friends, right? And one friend says to you, hey, remember, and these are both, we'll call them, be that make them both female friends just for equivalency, okay? 
Okay. So one friend says to you, but it really doesn't matter. One friend says to you, Hey, you, you know, that, that guy I've been hanging out with and, you know, we've been kind of seeing each other, um, you know, it's gotten pretty serious and, you know, he just asked me to marry him. So we're planning our wedding. Realistically, how are you going to respond to that? What are you feeling in that moment? Is this the friend who met them completely online or who has an in-person relationship? Oh, wait, this is an in-person relationship. Okay. Cool. Exciting. Tell okay. me more. Well, I mean, chances are I should probably already know them if it's a friend. But right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now you have this other friend who says, hey, remember that guy that I've been talking to and we've been kind of doing dating online where, you know, he's a level seven warlock and I'm a level 17 orc. And, you know, we've played that video game for the last five years together. Well, we're going to both fly out to Vegas and get married this weekend and meet each other for the first time. Pushback. I know there are, there are people who have done that and have successful marriages. I agree. But the (laughs) fact that you had a very different internal response, Right. right? That is a demonstration that deep down, we do see that there is a big difference in our ability to build a relationship online versus offline. Right. So by online, do you mean... Anything not, that's not anything that's not face to face. Actually, in person. Now, that doesn't mean can you. Does that mean you can't do it? No, of course you can do it. And that's does what that I was pushing in. Can't I'm be successful. Say, hey, of course, Josh, you can be successful. Have I but ever it met takes you? Takes a lot longer. Have I ever met you in person? We no, we haven't. <laughs> but, but how many interactions have we had? Right, and that's what right? I was trying to get at is that right. it takes a lot longer, a lot more yeah. repeat interactions. Yeah. We've known each other for years. Yeah, I will tell you right now. I have, I can build closer relationships in a matter of four weeks with students in my class. Right. Because you see them multiple times a week for hours at a time. Yeah. And we're talking afterwards and I'm asking about what's going on and I can see that, hey, you were distracted today. What's going on? Right. Yeah. And so it's, you, if you want to really fast track your ability to get clients, you need to do it face to face. Now, does that mean your entire business needs to face-to-face? No, no. This is the very beginning of your business. This is what am I going to do to get my first few clients? Right. And then as I build that base of clients, I can start adding on things that take a little bit longer Mm -hmm. to start expanding out geographically. Right. Right. And once you work with a couple, you meet a couple clients in person, you've worked with them, you can, as you're working with them, oh yeah, I also work with clients over Zoom. Great. Hey, I have a friend who lives on the other side of the country. And then you can start getting word of mouth referrals as well, theoretically, which winds things. But so it sounds like the biggest should is get your butt out the door. And I'm saying it that way because that's not something that I'm good at. Get your butt out the door and talk to people. (laughs) Yeah. And do it in places where you have the opportunity to present yourself as an authority. Yeah. Right. So if you want to work with, um, if you want to work with local artists, mm-hmm. right. Great. Go to art galleries and sponsor art gallery and art gallery opening, right. Mm-hmm. Spend the hundred dollars to put your logo in the little, uh, yeah, thing, right. Sure thing. Yeah. Uh, go to the local, you know, art walks, and pay for a booth. Mm-hmm. But instead of having 
art there, right? Talk about, you know, financial awareness and those types of things. Would that kind of thing, to me, a local art walk, the people coming by a booth are not necessarily going to be artists as much as art appreciators. Right. But your target is the artists, right? Right. So it's showing that you support that and you're you're showing that you're showing up. You are also setting up your booth when they're setting up their booth. And you talk to people next to you. Oh, my gosh. Can Mm -hmm. you believe it's so hot? Oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Yeah. Your booth doesn't take very long to set up. So you could be walking around and talking to the artists while you're setting up. Right. Why are you here so early? Oh, I'm an exhibitor. Yeah. Right. Oh, what are you showing? Oh, I'm a, I work with artists and yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's, it's about, it's not about, you want to focus on where are are my people congregating? Not Mm -hmm. necessarily is the intention of the booth that I'm buying is the person that's putting that on, is their intention for me to be doing right, right to go after the customers that are there. Mm-hmm. It's more about identifying how, where those people congregate. Right? That makes sense. Um, you know, find a, um, you know, I mean, we can come up with all sorts of things, <laughs> figuring out ways where, where artists congregate, right? If, but, yeah, if anybody listening live has a niche and they're like, oh, I don't know, where should I look? Drop your niche in the comments and we'll brainstorm. Oh, yeah. No. But, yeah. or listening after the fact, tag us. Yeah. The, so it, it, a lot of it comes down to just figuring out where those people congregate and, and getting there. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I think that one of the things that is very challenging for financial coaches is that when you have a business that can be done anywhere, you fall into the trap of thinking it's a good idea to have clients anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that is hugely problematic. Okay. Apple can have clients all across the country. Do you want to know why? Because they're, a, were they the top on the list? I don't know. Because they, they make a lot more money than you do. Yes. They have a lot more money to spend on everything than you do. Right. <laughs> And this is one of the things that is that is another really folk thing to focus on in the beginning. Don't focus nationally. Yeah. In fact, I, I think that one of the things that is really holding back many financial coaches is that they are being too broad in their geography. Right? It's, you, you're crippled by options almost. There's too many options. And so you, you're crippled by options. A little bit of everything rather than really laser focusing yeah. on hey, I can help people in my community right now and then expand out. Yeah. Well, it's that you're crippled by options and also that you're making all of your efforts worthless, right? If you are making soup and you want to season the soup and you've got four ounces of salt, if you put that four ounces of salt into a four-quart soup, the soup's going to be salty. If you take those four ounces of salt and you're making soup in a swimming pool, you're not going to taste the salt, right? And I was thinking same metaphor, different direction. If you have, if you're making soup and you want to season the soup, but you haven't decided if you're making potato soup or tomato or beef stew or minestrone or. You don't have it. Yeah. 
And so you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to put all of the seasons in. I'm just going to do all the things. It's not going to be good soup. Yeah. And so when you try to say, I'm going to, I'm going to promote across the country, you think that you're opening yourself up to more clients, but you're actually making it so that no one actually sees your messages, right? When you say, I'm going to take the same amount of effort, the same amount of marketing push, the same amount of everything that I'm doing, but I'm going to restrict it to a one square mile around my house. Depending on where you live. Right. <laughs> a square mile is a pretty big area. I live in Minnesota. There is a lot of square miles. That's true. There's a lot of empty spots there. Yeah. All right, there fine. could be three Wait. farmhouses. Two zip codes around your house. That's there a better way of saying it. Zip codes are, are much more uh, <laughs> That's population uh, focused. So two zip codes around your house or just the zip code that you live in. Mm -hmm. right? Your marketing messages, the things that you do, your activities are going to be so much more concentrated. Right? The, the little fish in the big pond or the big fish in a little pond to a certain extent. Yeah. And you, you've really got to, you really want to try to walk away from the idea of, I want to do things nationally because it does not expand your market. You're starting to should. You're right. <laughs> you're, do it you're starting to should not. You, but want yeah. to focus, you want to focus on that local market. Yeah. Right. Really focus in on, you know, what is a geography that if I were to do this same marketing efforts, there is a likelihood that people in that market would be exposed to my marketing messages at least seven times within a three month period or two month period. Right. Because it takes about seven exposures for someone to even notice that the message was there. And you go, oh, wait, I think I've seen that before. Yeah. Uh, you actually filter out. You physiologically don't see the message for the first few times you see it. In one eyeball, out the other. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it doesn't even. So our 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 bodies are. Have evolved very, very specifically. To not register. Communication and messages. Right. So this is why your husband, you think you're, he's ignoring you, right? He's not. But if you really think about all of the stimuli that you are exposed to on a daily basis, right? Walking down the street, you are, pro you are probably looking at, you know, I don't know, 700 in, in a five minute walk, you're looking at 700 marketing messages. Because there's all the little displays on the stores that you're looking in the windows and everything else. You are hearing thousands upon thousands of sounds. Mm -hmm. There are billions of individual things to look at, mm -hmm. right? Just walking down the street. The sensory overload is a real thing. Yeah. And so we have evolved so that we actually filter out both physiologically and psychologically. We filter out most messages that we see. Mm -hmm. So if you throw an ad in a school bulletin, right, a local school bulletin, and you do that once, there is a 99.99% .99 chance that no one even saw the ad. Not they ignored it. They didn't even see it. You do it seven times, you've started to increase the ads that someone saw it for the first time, even though they looked at it seven times. Yeah. Right. And you can't do that type of concentration if you're trying to do global. It's just yeah. not possible. But you if cannot you cannot put seven ads 
in all of the school bulletins across, across the entire the country. Yeah. Maybe but, if you're Apple, but right. you're not Apple. You can do it in your local school, at your local geography, right? The school that your kid attends. Yeah. And so the more that you can focus in on those types of that, uh, those types of really hyper local and, and make everything concentrated, the more likely you are to be successful, right? Yeah. You are not going to get to the top of the search results for a financial coach. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get on the first 50 pages of it, right? You could theoretically get within the first few pages of financial coach in your city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's theoretically possible. Yeah. So we did have a question come in. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of backstory that I'll leave. Well, basically, um, somebody who's trained as a financial coach last year, sounds like through Dave Ramsey, um, struggled right. to find any clients, started an online financial piece, which is why I'm assuming Dave Ramsey. I could be wrong. Feel free to correct mm -hmm. me in the comments. Um, so they're realizing they'll need to create their own workshops and speaking appointments, that kind of thing. They said, I'm preparing to go on social media. So that that's a, we've had podcast episodes on that that I can share for you. But then the last question is, I'd like to focus on reaching musicians, educators, and high earning corporate workers. Any feedback? Yeah, so I would start with eliminating two out of the three, right? Or combining them to make them even more focused. Music right? educators. Yes, so music educators, educators who, who uh, do music, right? That and you right could, there. Is that specific? And so speaking as somebody who has a music education degree in orchestra and knows next to nothing about teaching band or choir, is music educators narrow enough or should you break it down to orchestra, band, choir, general music, whatever? So I would say people who make their living teaching music. Okay. And then focus it in on a geography. Okay. In my city, right? And so then you're including in school and private lessons. Yeah. Now, if you find that it's too difficult to find where that, that group congregates, narrow the group further. I know that seems weird. <laughs> that actually is more effective. Narrow the group further, right? And, you know, when we start throwing in... Um, when we start throwing in other things that are not as related, it's it makes it impossible to find the group because there's no place that high earning corporate executives and music educators hang out in large right. numbers, right? It doesn't mean that none of them are friends, right? But it does mean that you're going to have a, a much harder time. Well, you're not going to be able to find anywhere where they hang out in large numbers. I will tell you right now, music education, there are conferences for that. Oh, yeah. Right. And so that is a place you can absolutely find that person. Um, and so that, that's the first thing that I would look at is narrowing it down further. Um, this is actually a very common thing. So, Vic, Victor, don't feel bad that this is your experience. We, Garrett and I heard this a lot. It's one of the reasons we started FCN. Um, because a lot of programs don't have really good marketing and business operations backgrounds, right? That that's just the reality of it. 
Um, and so this is not you doing something wrong. This is not you failing at it. Uh, this is a very common thing. And are there people that are successful with what Dave Ramsey provides? Yes, but it's not the norm, right? The, the norm was that um, they, they, struck, they had the same experience that you did. So don't feel like you did anything wrong. Quick, quick follow look, up there. Why not educators in general? Okay, so let's so question. If we do educators in general, it's going to be more difficult to find where they congregate and actually access it. So, as an educator myself, I will tell you right now, I do not go to general education conferences unless they are the types of conferences that you can't go to <laughs> right so when we go through accreditation right for the college and i have been a chair of the accreditation of an accredited uh, area of the accreditation myself other chairs and and the executives of the college went to an accreditation conference and the only way you could go to it is if you are going through accreditation at a college, <laughs> right? Those are the only types of things that I go to. Now, it doesn't mean I don't go to conferences. I just don't go to this general concept of education conference mm -hmm. because a music teacher is not going to have very much value coming out of a math conference. Right? Speaking from some of the, as a, someone trained as a music teacher, some of the, even just general education college courses. I'm like, if I was a classroom teacher, this would be great. And some of this doesn't really apply when you've got 45 kids playing instruments. Yeah. In the room. Yeah. 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 And so when we when we look at that idea, it's, you know, the more focused you can make it, the easier it's going to be to find places where the people congregate. Now, could you do educators? Sure. Absolutely. My biggest challenge and anyone here who feels like, well, what if I did this larger group? My question to all of you are, is why do you want the bigger group? Mm -hmm. right? If it's because you're afraid that you won't be able to find any clients, <laughs> which I would hazard a good guess for 99% of people. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. it's because, well, there are no at conferences for music educators that only teach trumpet and trombone, right? If that's the reason, great. Then no, don't do music educators that only teach trumpet and trombone, right? That So that would be the reason why you would want to expand it. Now, there's there's a bunch more that you can look at where we can't do, there's a whole hour of this, right? Uh, right, in launch, and then there's even more time spent on it in grow. So we can't go through all of the ways that you look at, is your niche narrow enough or not? But that's kind of a good way of, of, at this stage, kind of a gut check is why am I, why am I not wanting to go that narrow, mm -hmm. right? If it's out of fear, I would argue that's not a good reason to make the decision. If it's because, well, I literally cannot find any conferences for this group of people, right? But I can find lots of conferences for music educators, then great, make it music educators, right? That's a legitimate reason. Okay, so another question, and this one I'm super intrigued by because I'm not sure. 
My niche is minimalist, those focused on intentional living rather than niche focused on industry. Thoughts. And I said, I pose it to you. I would imagine there are probably conferences for minimalists, mm-hmm. but where where else do you, uh, like lifestyle groups, that kind of thing? Yeah. So there's, there's, I mean, minimalists, they definitely have conferences. They definitely, definitely have, um, you know, groups they're involved in. There's, there's YouTube channels, there's books, right? There's all sorts of things for, for minimalists. So it's a matter of figuring out where do those people congregate and what is their, what type of media do they consume? And then placing yourself in those in those places and, and being there. Um, slipping slipping uh, business cards on the bookshelf in Barnes and Noble. Maybe don't do in the middle of a section. Maybe don't do that. Like Barnes and Noble might not appreciate that, but that might be actually an interesting place to hang out. Just spend an hour, see if anybody shows up. Like, oh, do you have any book recommendations? And I will also, you know add on that this sounds absolutely terrifying as an introvert and I would probably never do that, but it would probably, it could be an interesting place to hang out for a while. Yeah. I I, I think that hanging out in a bookstore and just talking to people in general is a good way to get over your fear of that <laughs> thing. Yeah. But you know, the, the more you can find a place where you're officially supposed to be there, mm-hmm. the better off it is. Right. <laughs> so if, you know, if there is a, um, yeah, if there is an event for minimalists and you can go in, sponsor a table at it and give a talk on financial coaching and minimalism, right? Or financial habits and minimalism, then that is, um, that is like your best opportunity to actually find clients. And again, the more local, the better, because they've seen you at this. And then you start popping up in, you know, the local minimalist newsletter. And I know some of you are thinking, what, who, where on earth? There's no such thing as that. No, I mean, there probably is. Portland, there's local minimalist newsletters that are distributed. Yeah, you know, little like little weekly newspapers on it. So it just depends on the community that you're in. Or the community that you focus on. So we sort of touched on this earlier, but had somebody else ask about having two to three niches. Is having two to three niches an option? I have a goal of capturing recent college graduates and construction professionals, which is my day-to-day career. Can I answer this one first? Because I know the answer. Go for it. Yeah. Maybe eventually, but right now, not a great idea because the needs, I mean, as you continued to say, Rod, college graduates seem to have zero knowledge of how to start their lives financially. The needs of recent college grads are very different than the needs of, um, how did you word it? Construction professionals. They're going to have very different lifestyles. They're going to have very different places that they're at financially. So you're going to need to have two completely separate programs for those two groups of people, which means you're doing double the work and all of the marketing budget that you may or may not have, you're now splitting. Whereas if you focus on one to start, then you can focus all of your efforts in that one area and have more of it. When you have two niches, you have to have, you have to think of it like I'm setting up two completely separate businesses. Yeah. And that's, that's the big danger of having multiple niches. Um, 
Yeah. A quick follow-up question because I know we're pushing time already. Um, I really appreciate all the people popping into comments. It's I, you know, it's fun to talk to Josh. No offense to you, Josh. It's more <laughs> fun to answer people's questions so that we know that what we're talking about is actually interesting rather than like, well, I think people are interested in this. They ask about it. Um, anyway, follow-up question from Victor that applies to everybody. How does somebody promote your business at a conference in general? Financial coaching is still relatively new. I feel like we've been saying mm -hmm. that for as long as I've been a financial coach, but it's still relatively new. A lot of people are like, oh, so you're a financial advisor. No. Oh, so you tell people how to retire. No. Financial coaching is still not super well known. So how do you promote your business at a conference? The same way that Apple promoted the iPhone when it first started, which is it did not promote the iPhone, mm -hmm. right? And this is a really, really big mistake. You know, same thing with Tesla. When Tesla first started, they did not promote Tesla. That's not what they did. Okay. So when you are when you are looking at going to a conference as a financial coach, what you have to identify is what is going on in their lives that you can talk about. So going back to the minimalist example, right? People who want to do that, there are going to be some things that that, that lifestyle impacts finances, where that lifestyle impacts finances. So the question becomes, where does that crossover happen? And that's what you focus on. Mm. Because um, yeah, go ahead. you are Finish never it. going to get them interested in financial well-being. People who are interested in it are in this group. Yeah. <laughs> right? In, in, in our Facebook group. There are people who are interested in are listening to this podcast. You need to figure out what they're interested in. And it's why having a niche is, it's another reason why having a niche is so important. And so, yeah, the way that you do it is when you go to this conference, number one, you do a, you, you get a booth so that you're there, you're presenting in a professional capacity. You and you don't talk about financial coaching. You talk about there, the topic of the conference and where it op overlaps with finances. That's what you talk about. Because otherwise you have to convince them both that they should care about what you do and they should, that they should care about the topic. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't work. So what I was going to say earlier is at the conference, you've got to say you buy a booth, you're setting up your table, you're planning what to put at your table. You don't put, I am a financial coach or blah, blah, financial coaching. You put, you know, declutter your money or, you know, mm -hmm. you, you put what, what is the impact of what you're doing? You know, fight less about money or so people or questions like for educators, questions about your um, totally spacing on what the educator um retirement account is called um no the is it four five is it 457 450 oh, 457 403b yeah, four, four, three b i think is what i was going for which 
obviously that one's a little bit of a gray area that yeah i wouldn't do not want to get into but that yeah. sort of you know planning for nine months you, you put what are you helping your people do put that on the banner not i'm a financial coach because then people will go will look at the banner go oh i don't want to deal with that and walk away as opposed yeah. to hey that hits a pain point in my life maybe i'll go see what they have yeah and the pain point is very rarely i help people with credit card debt Right. The pain point, it, it, and it can be, but you're generally not going to have, that's not going to make sense of the conference, right? At the conference, it has to be something where there's overlap. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks everybody for all of the comments. Hopefully we had some helpful things to say and we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.